Welcome to the Life Exchange Podcast, where we give you practical solutions for self, community, and culture. Shame is a topic we often like to avoid. That avoidance comes with the territory of shame. But today, we're going there. We're going to talk about shame and what it looks like, where it comes from, and ways to walk in freedom from it. None of us were created to remain hidden under a cloud of false identity or to be controlled by a false reality. We were created to be free in who God made us to be. That's our goal in this episode, that the truth would make us free to embrace our true identity and walk in the abundant life that God has for us. Hi, I'm Melody Hilton. And I'm Joel Hilton. And I'm Katie Stansfield. And one thing that I love is authenticity. I love getting to know people on a really real level. Uh, if you've ever talked to somebody and, uh, you know, it was perfectly pleasant, everything was fine, but you just didn't feel like you were really connecting, you didn't feel like you were getting the authentic them, um, that can just be a hindrance for connection. And so today we're going to talk about the topic of shame. And shame is one of those things that just gets in the way of authenticity. It covers up our true selves, our true identity for whatever reason, and it keeps us from knowing each other genuinely. Uh, and I think the the lies, which I'm sure we'll get into, one of the lies is that, um, you know, our our stuff is too big and we're the only ones mm-hmm. and um, it keeps us covered. It keeps us hidden. When, when we really get to know each other, we realize that we all have stuff. We all have shame. We all have things that we're using to cover up uh, what we think is a flaw uh, or a problem or, or even something that we have done that we're ashamed of. Um, but today we just kind of want to get into this topic, kind of strip away some of those myths, some of those, get into some of those things that are reality and um, with the the goal of being free so that we can be our authentic selves. So, One of the things I think we should start out with, and this is something that I like to do when I preach, is to define words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how are we defining shame? Because a lot of people can define it differently. So how are we defining it? Well, I love a definition from the Kilstras uh, out of the Carolinas, and they say that shame is a sense of being uniquely and hopelessly flawed. It leaves a person feeling different and less valuable than another human being. And so really what shame is, it is an identity destroyer because God had this amazing plan for us before the foundations of the world. We can see that in Ephesians 1.4, and he wants us to have understanding and clarity and revelation of who he created us to be and what we can accomplish in our world. But shame comes in and says that that's not who you are. And you begin to believe lies of opposite of who God created you to be. Well, because, I'm sorry. Even when you said, you said the definition is uniquely and hopelessly. So mm-hmm. it says that you are the only one. Mm-hmm. So it really keeps you covered from even exposing in a good or a bad way because you think that that, that you're the only one that's dealing with things. And that lie itself is going to keep you in that prison of, of shame. Mm-hmm. And the hopelessly flawed part. Yeah. Something is terribly wrong with me. I will never measure up. And we're getting into the lies already, but mm-hmm. that's what shame does. It screams lies. And what does the enemy come to do? He uses lies to steal, kill, and to destroy. And so really what our journey in God is, is to break the power of shame and the lies so that we can really discover the beauty of who he created us to be. Yeah, One of the things that 
I think that you're going to need to understand is the difference between guilt mm-hmm. and shame because guilt is I've done something wrong mm-hmm. and you you feel a negative feeling about what you've done. But shame takes that and says there's something wrong with me. Yeah, so correct. shame points uh, the fault back on who you are as a person, not necessarily what you've done. It's kind of intermingled, but mm-hmm. uh, guilt more focuses on what you've done. And that's right. something, hey. I think in some ways that can be good because, hey, I've done something wrong. I need to repent. I need to make it right. But shame says that there is something inherently wrong with me. And that's more difficult to overcome because you can change actions, but if you believe that there is something inherently wrong with you, Mm -hmm. uh, that can be a struggle to really uh, overcome. I mean, you define that perfectly the difference between guilt or conviction and shame because shame deals not just with a false identity but that false identity erects a veil over our eyes so we can't see ourselves others or our world through the right perspective and it also uh, screams those lies inside of us and it 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 sounds very personal like yeah. I say I am this and I am that, uh, followed by some negative uh, words or beliefs when in actuality, we all do things and that's why we have a savior. Yeah. You know, we have redemption. But when you believe you are inherently flawed, that something is innately wrong with you, as you shared, Joel, then how can we be delivered of how bad we really are? There is no hope. Yeah, I think that connection um, between what we do and who we are often goes um, in the background. We we can't separate the two mm-hmm. between what we do and what we are. I know um, I've asked people to tell me who they are. Yeah. And so like I could just tell you like 99% of the time they'll tell me what they do, mm-hmm. not who they are, um, because we just think that what we do is who we are. and But it, then if I stop and say, okay, those are all things that you do. Those are great. Thank you for sharing those things. Now tell me who you are. And it's crickets. It's so silent because to think about that, uh, it's not something that we're used to thinking about consciously. That to say, I think shame often goes unchecked because um, we are pinning it and we're, we're getting into that condemnation or that guilt of something that we've done and not recognizing that it's become something that, that has attached itself to our identity. It's just, it, it's in the background. We know that we might have done something wrong, but when it's attached itself to who I am, then we don't even know how to get out of that. We don't know how to overcome that. Because we don't know who our true identity is anymore. Well, let me say something really quick. I believe that's kind of a societal issue because mm-hmm. a lot of times when you meet someone, you always say, well, what do you do? Yeah. All the focus is so on true. what they do and accomplish and uh, how they make their money. Uh, there's not really much desire to know who someone is mm-hmm. rather than apart from what they do. So yeah. I think... Oh, you're so, just a mom who stays home with your kids. Yeah. Oh, well, that's yeah. nice. And that's like deemed as less valuable than the person who is in corporate America or something like that, you know? And so we attach our value and our worth and our identity based upon what we do and not yeah. just the negative things that I, I fail and I feel guilty over, but what I accomplish. Yeah. And that's what I was saying. It, it, if we as a society think that... 
who you are is so tied to what you do, mm-hmm. then that's a real problem, I think. I think so, yeah. too. Yeah. Most definitely. And uh, one thing, I think there's really the sources of shame. Uh, I think what we've just talked about is what we do from who we are uh, is something that is a symptom or a byproduct of where shame really originates. Because uh when it comes to, let's say, the sources of shame, sometimes uh, our soul, well, not sometimes, our soul is programmed with messages from the time of our conception. You know, four months in utero, we begin to get messages from the outside world. And uh, what if we weren't really wanted? What if um, our parents weren't happy that they were going to have a baby and they're speaking negative over this whole experience or mom is resenting it because she's getting up and throwing up every morning and saying, oh, I don't want to be pregnant. I don't want to have a baby or whatever. We we think that is not a reality, but it is if babies are able to receive a message and the Mm -hmm. feelings of their mother. And so I think things from conception, uh, things in our family, you know, whether it's family-based attitudes, our parents' problems, you know, and I've just seen uh, in, in my life and even in young people that I've dealt with that they looked at their family's problems believing it was their fault. Yeah. You know, I'm not a good enough kid or something's wrong with me and or I have to fix my parents and there's that emotional enmeshment that I have to be the one. And of course, every child never feels capable to fix their parents because yeah, they weren't not. created to fix <laughs> yeah. their parents. And, you know, maybe it's family secrets. And, you, Joel? You better not tell anybody we did that, you know, or something is like uh, where you have to keep your family secrets. That's a place, okay, if we have to keep a sheep uh, secret, there must be some shame attached to that. Mm-hmm. And so things can come from our family dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. So we were kind of talking, uh, well, I guess the question would be where does shame come from? Right. And so we've been talking about. A, it's a real cultural thing. It's, mm-hmm. It has fam- family dynamics. Like, what are some other ways that shame can, like, really affect our life or how, how it comes in to our life? Well, I think something that really attacks it, and maybe I'm speaking more from my experience, but wherever there is neglect or abuse. Because if there's neglect... So a need- devaluing... Yeah, or or my needs aren't important. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there wasn't enough food on the table, or you heard, you know, uh, we don't have money for this, we don't have money for that, so therefore me getting shoes for school isn't important. And uh, whether that's deliberate or circumstantial, the fact is a child begins to feel like I'm not good enough. And then they go to school and they see so kids with... So a comparison, with a, right? Yes. Looking at the outside world. Yeah, or- they have designer jeans. And here I have, you know, I don't, I'm not putting down Walmart, but my jeans are from <laughs> Walmart or something like that. And so it, it sends a message. But I really think an abuse one the abuse or abuse of power or usury and those type of things 
really attack identity. And for me, that happened from the time I was two years old to nine years old. I experienced many incidents of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember as a child believing that was my fault, believing something wrong was wrong with me. And it began at two years old. And I remember feeling like I had to protect my parents from that knowledge and feeling such shame over what was happening to me and then feeling responsible to protect those I loved around me. And I know that was the beginning of shame in my life that carried until I was 37 years old when God pointed it out and said, okay, now's the time you got to deal with this stuff. But it shaped my beliefs. It shaped my attitudes. It shaped how I parented, how I functioned as a wife, uh, how I viewed people, how I viewed my world, uh, even how I pastored a church. Because Mm -hmm. when God pointed it out, I was already pastoring with my husband for 15 years. Yeah. Uh, because what accompanies shame is horrific fear. Mm. Yeah. And then you have to protect, you know, the fear tries to hide the shame so nobody sees how bad you are. So you live with this self-protective control of walls around you, which keeps you locked inside and keeps others locked out. Yeah. You never really open up your heart. Yeah. So injustice is an open door for shame. Injustice yeah. is a huge one. I think... I think in general, all shame, well, all shame is from the enemy. We could Most say definitely, that pretty yeah. confidently. Um, and the enemy's language is lies. And the enemy is really good at what he does. The Bible says that he's the father of lies. Mm-hmm. Everything that he says is a lie. And so whether that lie comes through an event of abuse or injustice, something like you were sharing, or it just comes through a subtle thought, I think the enemy will use whatever he can to get a lie into your soul, into your um, thoughts, so that you accept it as the truth. And so whether it's it was an event or something that really sparked that, or whether it's just subtle things that the enemy begins to feed into your thoughts that you then embrace as your own, um, that is where the door of shame can be open. And that's just going to grow to become a belief. And, you know, I think about, and and I think I just asked the kids this in a children's church class, but I said, if you, or no, it was the youth. I said, if, if you have a friend or a person in your life who is continually lying to you, Mm. and you you are aware that they are lying to you, is that a person that you trust? They all said, no, of course not. That's not a person that I trust. And then I said, well, the Bible mm-hmm. says that the enemy is the father of lies. Everything that he says is a lie. Is he trustworthy? Is that a trustworthy voice? No, it isn't. But he's so good at what he does that he subtly seeds things into our thoughts that are contrary to what God has said about us. They're contrary to the truth about our identity. And we begin to agree with them. And as soon as we agree with that lie, then we are allowing that stronghold to set in in our life. And, you know, I think uh, when, at least for me, if I hear that word stronghold, I think, well, that's something major that happened. But I think those things begin with little seeds, little thoughts. Little things that are 
um, being repeated over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, especially because we've now embraced it as our own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when something happens, I'm immediately going back. I know a lie just in the last couple of years that that the Lord revealed to me, and He's so kind to reveal these things to us, is that I was always going to be the second choice. Mm. And so I, when I, when that when I became aware of that, it's something I lived with my whole life and I didn't know it. But when I became aware of it, I could kind of go back through my life and say, ah, I remember this, I remember this, I remember this. And every single thing that happened, I associated that lie as the truth about me, Mm -hmm. which really was a stronghold of shame in my life. That's a great example because the fact is life hasn't been fair for any person on the planet. In the world, we have tribulations. I mean, life isn't always perfect for anyone. In fact, it's never always perfect for anyone. Uh, So uh, as you said, the enemy will take every opportunity that he can to lie to us because if we believe that lie, that is a seed to generate shame. Yeah. So that can come through something somebody says to you. It can come through your thoughts. It can come through experience. It could come through any number of ways. Uh, And so it just, it kind of, it's just good to remember that everything that he says is a lie. That's right. So if you have a thought and you begin to question, is this true? Is this not true? Immediately, if we can capture that, take it to what we, what the word says about us, what God says about us, we can reject those things. And I know it's, much easier said than done. Um, but just for me, just recognizing every word he says is a lie <laughs> is is helpful in that I can just dismiss it like I would dismiss a person that I don't trust because they're continually lying to me. And that's now, Scripture why the, doesn't sorry. say uh, take every bad thought captive. <laughs> yeah. It says take every thought captive and submit it. Which is, I have a lot of thoughts. So yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a big feat. So it is a process, but it's something that we have to be really intentional about if we are going to get freedom in it. That's why the truth makes us free. And so the more we feed on the truth, the more it exposes the lies. Um, But I do know for me, somebody would speak truth to me Mm -hmm. because I gave my life to the Lord when I was 21. And for so for... How many years after that? 26 years, I'm still dealing with shame. So if ever there was a compliment, if ever there was validation, where there was affirmation, whether it was from my husband or my family or in ministry or whatever, you know what? I took it and I felt like I was being patronized. I felt like I was being flattered and I didn't want to listen to it because the lie was more real to me than the truth. But Thank God, the more the truth mm-hmm. saturates us, the more it drives out the lie. And that's why shame is such an effective strategy for the enemy, yeah. because if he can get you to believe, like we said, shame is there's something wrong with me. If he can get you to believe a lie that there is something wrong with you, that there is something inherently wrong with you, you are just going to function out what you function from that yeah. believed nature or... Yeah, what you believe is true about you. Exactly. Yeah, that identity, and, and that's identity. what's so powerful about what Christ has done. He's come and made us a new creation. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're being transformed into his image. So that's where the truth comes in. So if we believe the lies of the enemy, we'll, in a scary way, be transformed into the lies of the enemy. Mm-hmm. But if we feast 
and we meditate on what is true, then we'll be actually be transformed more into the image of Christ. Exactly. And I think we can go, go back to the beginning because man's fall was because of a lie of the enemy. They believe a lie. They mm-hmm. acted upon that lie. And what was the result of believing that lie? When God came as he always came before yeah. to hang out with them, to talk with them, to love on them, to whatever they did in the cool of the day, uh, when God showed up, they were hiding. Yeah, They were running from him when just the day before they were running to him. Yeah. And that's what shame does. And it's not just with our relationships with one another. It is even how we view God yeah. Yeah. viewing us. Yeah. And that's where the core of I our identity comes from, from who we are in him and who he is in us. Well, if I am filled with shame, I cannot see the reality of what he says for me. And so that's why it's such a battle to overcome shame. But it's possible. I know. I lived it. I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, but it no longer holds control in me. So I, I really just speak encouragement to everyone listening that there is hope to overcome. There is hope to discover your true identity and all the lies that tried to shape who you believe you are, who you believe God is, who you believe others are can be dismantled uh, if we continually pursue the things of God. It's so important. So for so many years, you functioned in shame, you pastored in shame, you parented in shame. Yeah. What was what was the turning point? Like, what shifted within you? Was it uh, something that got spoke? Was it um, a revelation? Maybe you saw yourself in a mirror and saw how your actions were affecting those around you. Like, what what was the thing that really was the catalyst for you to start dealing with this issue in your life? And and one thing I'll say about that is. When there is shame there, that's just what you believe. You don't realize you're believing a lie. It's how you've learned to function. It's your automatic ways of thinking and believing. And uh, so uh, for me, though, it was a very traumatic ministerial experience. You know, Mm -hmm. of course, here I was a woman in ministry. And so all those years, I remember thinking, I don't want to be a Jezebel. I don't want to be controlling because religion was screaming those things in my ears. And I'd be going to God, no, God, I don't want to be that way. If I am that way, let me know. Uh, Because the shame was there. I would embrace all those things. Uh, but if it wasn't for my husband, says, Melody, you do it. You're called to do it. He was like my uh, support system. But I came to one of those intense, intense, intense traumatic moments, and I came home, put the kids to bed, and I went off by myself, and I sat on the floor, and I just wept and wept and wept and mm-hmm. wept. And in the middle of me, I'm going to cry right now, mm-hmm. in the middle of me crying out to God, saying, God, I can't live with this this torment. Uh, I can't handle this torment anymore, not realizing what it was. There was supernatural revelation. And that's what I cry out for everyone listening. 
that God would give you a supernatural revelation because when he reveals, there is the grace that accompanies it for us to go through the process to be healed. And what I saw at that moment, he showed me that I was a three-layered cake. The bottom layer was shame. The middle layer was fear. The top layer was self-protective control. There was icing on that cake. I can still see this picture. It was like a, a vision. And the icing on the cake was anger. And I didn't go around spewing anger except for my kids. I was a good spanker, wasn't I? You know, and you had to be perfect. Yeah, we would rather have dad spank us than mom. (laughs) But see, that's when it was legal, obviously. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But see, if they didn't function in perfection, it reinforced shame in me, even though I didn't know it. I'm not Mm -hmm. a good mother. So they had to be perfect kids so I could feel better about myself. Now, I didn't know that then, but as I began to hear, I realized that that's why I was so tough on my kids. It wasn't me really wanting them to grow up and and uh, be these amaz- this amazing man and woman of God serving God. I just didn't want to be shamed if they got a C on their report card or something like that, or they didn't obey or they didn't do whatever. And so uh, that was the anger part, that mm-hmm. icing. And then on top of the icing was this fruit. They were kind of like Bing cherries is what I saw. And that was the fruit of shame. And he began to download to me, and this is all happening in a millisecond. <laughs> you know, I don't know how fast it happened, but it was revelation dropped in my spirit. And lies, lie after yeah. lie after lie that I had believed. Yeah. Uh, just was downloaded. And I went and I got, uh, it was like the first journal that I had in my journey of overcoming shame, fear, and control. And I went and I started writing down all those lies that he revealed in that moment. I still have all these journals. So Joel, to answer your question, it was a supernatural revelation that came from the Spirit of God that carried with it the whole process of how the sexual abuse screamed lies into my mind that I believed that shaped every decision I made. Mm-hmm. And um, But then there was the grace and there was the anointing of the Spirit of God to start working with me. And it was about a year and a half journey yeah. of hearing the voice of God. And But that journey... I had the grace to go on that because there was not counselors and we didn't do all that. We didn't even have any really leaders that were investing into us at that time. And so it was kind of a journey. I kind of had a Holy Spirit in me. But um, now God can bring that revelation. And there's so many individuals that are there that understand this, that can help people process through. But it's not something I believe that we want to isolate isolate ourselves and try to do ourselves. I think there's so many people that understand uh, not just the lies of the enemy, spiritually speaking, but even understand as believers how to help people process through emotional trauma. Because the source of it was sexual abuse. So it was trauma. Mm -hmm. And there's people that can really help people process through that. Yeah. And I like what you were saying, um, is that just don't, this isn't something that you want to do alone. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think whether that is with a person or just with the Lord, um, shame wants to keep you isolated. It wants to keep you covered and hidden. Um, But the antidote to that is really not doing it alone. And, you know, for you and for some, it does get to that point of, 
you're in that nervous breakdown stage where things have piled up so much that it it becomes something you have to deal with. But I think we all deal with shame. This is something that yes. every single one of us deals with to some extent. Um, and one of the ways that I have just grown to love um, for myself and and even for other people that you can kind of lean into getting freedom from shame is just this simple process of, first of all, inviting Holy Spirit into the room, into uh, the space, which is always there, um, but just kind of awakening your awareness to His presence. And then just say um, to the Lord, say, Lord, what is a lie that I have been, been that I have been believing about myself? And just listen to recognize if anything comes into your consciousness, what is a lie that I've been believing about myself? And then you just repent. You say, God, I'm I'm sorry for believing a lie and accepting it as the truth. May I say something about yeah. that lie? Because when we believe a lie, it's an agreement with the enemy. Yeah. We're not agreeing with God, we're agreeing with the enemy who is the accuser of the brethren. Yeah. So his whole goal and objective are those lies. Yeah. So go ahead with that. Yeah, uh, and it feels very true. Oh, so that's yes, it why does. it's so important for the Holy Spirit to come in uh, and reveal those things. These aren't something you have to necessarily go dig up for yourself. Just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it. If he does, give that to the Lord, lay that at his feet. And then this part is really important. Um, say, okay, Lord, I've given this to you. What do you want to give me in return? Mm -hmm. And as you do that, he's never going to leave you an empty cup. Whatever you give to the Lord, he's going to give you something better. And so then listen for what the truth is that he says about you. And that is your gold. That is you what you want to begin to dwell on, repeat out loud over and over and over again, formulate it into a sentence, put it in a song, whatever you've got to do, that is what you want to begin to feast on. And that is what it, what is going to transform those belief systems, those thought patterns, those habits, those things that have kept you in that, that um, lie, in that shame. That's what's going to begin to transform your mind. And so just that simple process um, can be really, really helpful uh, in bringing freedom and revelation uh, into this area of your and life. And unless there Unless there uh, was a traumatic situation, you got to think if you have if you're functioning in a stronghold of shame, this is something that's been years upon years yeah. yes. dwelling on lies, believing lies. So yes, it's going to take some time yeah. to rehearse the truth for it to uh, be manifested in your life, and it still likely will not feel true for a while. Yeah, because yeah. you've been dwelling on a lie for a long time. And so the truth has to overtake that lie. You have to rewire your brain, rewire your heart, and allow the Holy Spirit to do that healing work. So just as a disclaimer, it probably will still feel awkward or like you're telling yourself a lie or like you're you're sugarcoating the truth. It's probably going to feel a little uncomfortable until it has that time to replace the truth. It's the renewing of the, the mind, line. right? Yes. Yeah. And literally changing the neural networking of our brain. Yeah. Um, there is one thing I want to say, though, because this is a, a human propensity, especially when shame is there, is our propensity is to see our shame and immediately blame yeah. someone else. Yeah. Isn't that right? That's what they did in the garden when they felt their shame because of their sin and them believing that yeah. lie and them 
acting on that lie, what was the first thing when God confronted him? The man blamed the woman, the woman blamed the serpent, you know, they just got into this blame game. And uh, no matter what has happened to him, even even that sexual abuse I went through, that Mm -hmm. was not my fault. And it would be easy for me to spend the rest of my life blaming those people, being resentful, being unforgiving, being unforgiving, or own it. Yeah. And we have to own the lies of shame and confront them for ourselves, not blame circumstances, not blame our parents, not blame (laughs) even those who abused us. Yeah, those are facts. That might have been the source of some things, but I'm the one uh, that chose to believe those lies and feed on those lies year after year after year after year. So I have to own it and allow God to replace those lies with his true reality so I can step into my true identity. Because when I really am able to see who God created me to be, then even though life isn't perfect, I can love life. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was you or someone else, but I remember hearing an example a long time ago that if if I went out in the parking lot and someone um, mm. hit me and yeah. broke my leg and then just took off, you know, so I'm sitting there now with a broken leg. It was not my fault. I was, you know, where I was supposed to be. They were not. Uh, it was their fault, their responsibility. They did this to me, but they took off. So if I just sat there and refused to deal with, was this your illustration? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I just refused to deal with it because it wasn't my fault, then... And you're blaming them. Yeah, I'm blaming them them. and I'm waiting for them to come back. And I'm, you know, just all of these, I'm in a, you know, in my emotions and I refuse to go deal with my leg because it was their fault. Who's going to suffer the consequences? I am. My leg's going to set wrong. It's going to heal wrong. I'm going to be in pain for the rest of my life. So yeah, it was their fault. They did it, but I still have to deal with it because we have to take responsibility for our lives. And I will say that blame in its most basic, purest form is not wrong because blame just basically means to assign fault. Very good. Okay. So if someone came and hit your car and the police officers there say, this person has done that, that is blame. That's okay. Yeah. But where blame goes off the rails Mm -hmm. or when it causes problems is when blame causes us to remove our responsibility from the situation. So if we're looking and saying, because of this, I'm a victim. Because mm-hmm. of this, I have no power to bring change. That's where blame has caused a stronghold in our life. Now, in in the most basic sense, it's fine because you're just saying this this is what I'm assigning for the fault. Mm-hmm. But if then if, if I relinquish my personal responsibility, I will always be in a stuck uh, a cycle of yeah. blaming and victimhood and yeah. You'll like a cycle, you'll just be stuck in it. Yeah, and then you live a powerless life. Yep, exactly. Because you're constantly um, controlled by the past or an event, and and but that I think can, it's that really can important to, us. to define that yeah. because, in its sense, it's not wrong. Right. right. Say yeah. this is what happened. This is who has done this thing. Yeah. That's not wrong. And that's why there's so much power in forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Because if there wasn't blame, why do you forgive? Mm -hmm. So we, uh, I really love how you shared that because 
there is blame. Ultimately, we know the source is the enemy, but sometimes people yeah. yield yeah. to the lies of the enemy. And that's the power that we hold is to forgive and release. Because uh, I think it was Lewis Mead said that to forgive another is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And but I love one of my favorite scriptures is Galatians three thirteen where it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse any curse whatever that curse came from whatever that lie came from Christ has redeemed us from the curse of all He took it all upon Himself so that we could be redeemed His blood uh, the price that He paid redeems us yes in salvation the redeeming of our spirit man so we can live eternally with the Father but also the redemption of our soul. Mm-hmm. And we have to lean upon the work of Christ because Melody in herself could not have gotten free. Yeah. And so me running to the Lord, spending time with him, writing down scriptures, you know, rehearsing uh, his redemption and uh, rehearsing moments of revelation like that night and many other times of revelation, because it says, if any man lack wisdom, let ask, I'm going <laughs> to give it to you. Yeah. You know, he... He is available to help us navigate through every situation of our life because Jesus paid the price. And I just love when talking about blame is when I mess up, and I do, and we all do, I'm so thankful. It's like in my mind's eye, I picture the mercy seat and Jesus' blood there and the Father looking at me through the blood of Jesus. So I have to be willing to look even at my past Mm -hmm. through the mercy seat because when I become a mercy giver, it sets me free. Yeah. When I become a blame shifter, it puts me into bondage. Mm -hmm. And I want to be a mercy giver because what we give, what we sow is what we reap. Mm -hmm. Going back to kind of what you were talking about, Katie, where uh, you were talking about speaking the truth, and sometimes it doesn't feel accurate. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel real. Um, I, I think of I'll, a lot of times when I encourage people to to speak those faith statements out there, like, I feel like I'm lying to myself, yeah. or I, I feel like it's I'm speaking things that aren't true. But one, one of the ways that I push back against that is, you know, be, before creation, it was dark, it was void. There was nothing, right? right. Mm-hmm. And God spoke, and then creation happened. Yeah. yeah. And so if we don't speak the things that God is saying, we're not allowing the creative power of God in our lives. Yeah. Right. So yes, it might feel void in that area of our life. But if we speak his word, which actually promotes creation, right? So I would just encourage you in that. Yes, it might feel uh, weird. It might feel fake. It might feel uh, inauthentic. It's kind of like going to physical therapy. When you have done something one way, and you yeah. go to correct it. They say, okay, I want you to walk this way now. You have to think about every step that you take mm-hmm. when That's before good. it was it just was what you did. But they're telling you, okay, in order to correct this, you have to be intentional about it. You have to step this way, you know, put your heel down, then put your toe down. It it 
is something you have to really think about because it will not feel natural. And it's, in fact, probably going to feel uncomfortable. It's mm. going to maybe even bring some element of pain as you push against an old habit, an old way of thinking, an mm. old way of believing. And I think that's where a lot of the fear comes in. One thing that I learned uh, through this, and it's biblical, uh, is that wherever there is shame, there is fear. Mm-hmm. Wherever there is fear, it's because I don't want to be ashamed. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. If so someone... there's things that partner with shame. So it's oh not gosh, just yes. shame. So you yes. kind of talk about that in your book where yeah. it's shame, fear, control. Correct. Right? And so wherever there is shame, there's fear because number one, if you knew what I was thinking, my fear is that it's going to expose the shame more. So I have to hide the shame out of my fear. But I love in the word of God in Psalms 25, it, this was one scripture that really, really impacted me. Psalms 25, three, yes, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Who are the ones that should be ashamed? are the ones who transgress without a cause. And so it's like, okay, that happened to me in those situations. Mm -hmm. And, or if I've done something, Lord, I am ashamed for what I did because that was wrong. Mm -hmm. But either way, I'm going to run to you. And what happens when I run to him, it says, let them wait on the Lord. They will not be ashamed. And then uh, Isaiah 54, I have to read this. Do not be afraid you will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. Oh man, I don't want to speak in public. That's one of the biggest fears because I don't want to be disgraced. I don't want to feel shame. Mm -hmm. So fear makes me run away from things that I might even be called to do because I don't want to be ashamed. So he says, do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. That's the things you've lost. And um, so when you think about that, wherever I feel fear, because I don't want to be embarrassed. Oh Mm -hmm. man, that embarrassed me so much. That is a source of shame. And if we start being aware of where we can give access to shame, we got to recognize the moment we give access to shame, we're giving access to fear. And you've probably heard me say this, if you listen to other podcasts, whenever we function in fear, we will function opposite of who God created us to be. But let me add today, whenever we function in the lies of shame, we will function opposite of who God created us to be because they partner together to keep us in bondage. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So really fear and shame work in tandem together. Mm -hmm. So where there's one, there's probably the other one mixed in there somewhere. Um, So we try to control our circumstances so we won't be ashamed. It's really amazing when you when you recognize this, when you recognize this cycle, you can begin to look at your life and say, oh my gosh, I had no idea that I was being controlled by shame or by fear or that this uh, control or this anger or whatever the fruit or the the external appearance is really stems from that place of shame. So I was kind of thinking, you know, um, if you already recognize it in your life, that you know you're already a step ahead because now mm-hmm. you're going to want to be step. free of that. Yeah, but a lot of times we don't recognize it. And so, is this something that you want to go looking for? Is this <laughs> something you want to go sit in a room now and dig up so that you can get freedom? Now, I just think 
when you hear something like this, you're able to acknowledge. Yeah. And honestly, after I really, because just like fear, the source of ev- the source of everything that is evil is the enemy. Right. But fear is not just an emotion. It's a spiritual dynamic. Shame is not just an emotion. It is a spiritual dynamic because that was the original strategy of the enemy in mm-hmm. the garden, the shame, fear, control. And so when I'm able to recognize that, then I... I am able to consciously make a choice to do opposite of shame, to do opposite of fear. And a part of my freedom was um, using the cake again, uh, because God wants us free. And he, uh, I thought, Lord, how do I not feel shame when I feel shame? Yeah. Because when you feel what you feel, you feel what you feel. How do you not feel what you feel? And so, well, how did I, you know, how can I overcome that shame? Or when I feel fear, how do I not feel fear? And he spoke to me and he said, can you control control? Mm-hmm. And I go, yeah, because I'm a pretty determined person, you know? And so I realized how control was the actions mm. that I took from the emotions of shame, from the emotions of fear. So I had to just do the opposite of what shame was telling me, the opposite of what fear was telling me. And that's how I began to use actions to confront the lies of shame and fear. And what was so amazing when I would do the opposite of what shame or fear was telling me to do, I had different results. And I started gaining little victory upon little victory upon little victory. And in the midst of that, the Lord took me back to the cake. And he said, if you were going to give someone a slice of cake, you wouldn't take off the bottom layer or the middle <laughs> layer or the top layer and Once hand it an to them. Yeah. You would take the knife, and when you would go through one, you would go through all three. Yeah. So if you start controlling, you take the power you have in me and make decisions opposite of the lies of fear and the lies of shame— confronting that control will dismantle those. It's like a weak link. You start taking, you start confronting one area, you will confront all three. And this cycle, Mm -hmm. and that's what it is. It's a cycle. When fear comes in, I'm ashamed. And when shame comes in, I'm uh, feared, I'm (laughs) I'm afraid. And then I get into control. So if I can confront one of these, Mm -hmm. then... I start breaking its power. And so that was a process over like a year and a half of practicing doing the opposite of fear, the opposite of shame. And what was my strength for doing the opposite was the truth. Mm -hmm. And I remember writing down a lie of shame or a lie of fear and then inquiring of the Lord and say, Lord, what is your truth? And scriptures would come. And this is the power of the word of God. God's word, it's not an emotion. God's word is spirit. It's God's spirit. It is spirit and it is life. And so uh, I would go to him and allow him to bring scriptures and make them alive in me. And even in this process, one of the uh, biggest scriptures for me was in Exodus, where he said, I won't drive them out all at once. Otherwise, the land will become desolate. Mm -hmm. But I will drive them out little by little 
so you can increase. So basically, that scripture was telling me, Melody, every step you take, we're driving it out, and you have gained a victory, and you're going to walk in that victory. And when you have increased in faith, and you've increased in confidence, you've increased that, man, I do have power to not yield to shame. When you do that, we'll drive out more, and Mm -hmm. we'll drive out more, and we'll drive out more. And that's what took place in, in my life until I literally confronted the demonic stronghold of shame and the demonic stronghold f- hold of fear, and it literally left me. Yeah. So it was a year and a half process, but would you say after that it was a once and done thing, or was it— Good question. Was it, was it something that you had to continue to cultivate in your life? When, uh, for me— now, not everyone has the stronghold where it's like demonically, yeah. you know, like the claws of the demonic lie. You know, we all have to deal with this because this is a part of humanity. But for me, it really ran deep. Yeah. Um, but uh, that level was, yes, definitely there was an instantaneous release uh, and an instantaneous freedom. But the lies of shame and the lies of fear have never stopped. But the difference is I'm so aware of the lies and I'm so aware of the fear that especially with shame, when something comes in and says, Melody, you know, you get on that podcast, you're the old one, you're not going to be as relevant. I mean, that thought never crossed my (laughs) mind until right now. I just kind of applies to the podcast. I go, oh, shut up, devil. You know, that is so stupid. And, you know, it's like I'm able to recognize that. Well, you know that because you know the truth. I know the truth. So the the more you feed on the truth, the more you can recognize a lie. And I paid a big price to break the lies of shame. I'm not going back again. Yeah. That, it was like, I've done that before. I'm not revisiting that again. I'm not wearing that t-shirt again. It is in, man, it it didn't go to the garbage. It went to the fire pit and got burned up, you know, yeah. and I'm not embracing that again. Yeah. And But in the process, because I dealt with so many fears, I believe it opened me up for God to reveal more fears, not so much from shame or identity, but uh, just fear in general. Mm -hmm. So I'm not afraid to deal with fear. In fact, I get excited when he does reveal fear because that's my ticket to freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I I think um, one way in going about this is just begin to say to the Lord, show me your truth that makes me free. Yeah. And just that continual invitation of just saying, show me your truth that makes me free. And then as you're living your life, if you if something happens, somebody says something, does something, whatever, and you start to feel that feeling of I'm not good enough, whatever it is. I think if we become aware of it, we can feel it when it happens. Most we definitely. know when we're feeling like I'm something. embarrassed. Yeah. There's <gasps> so there's humiliated. a feeling that we that we have. So I think what we often do is go into the feeling and then we begin to play out all the scenarios of why we're feeling it. What happened? What did I do? What did I say? Or, you know, I always do this. And the the self-talk becomes very, um, very shame-filled and it keeps us in that cycle. And so I think instead of going into that feeling, say, okay, show me the truth, Lord, show me the truth that makes me free. And instead of going into that negative emotion, that's when you have to consciously say, okay, God, what does God say about yeah. me? Um, because we can, we can go into the feelings and just sit there. And why, you know, we do it all the time, but why would we want to go sit in a miserable feeling? 
but we do it. We go and we stay there and it affects because us. Because a negative feeling and a negative emotion has three times more effect on our mind because it, it carries such emotion with it, such wow. intensity that it's almost easier to feed on the negative yeah. than to feed upon truth. Wow. Because what's the Bible say? I love this scripture. We labor. That means we've got to work. Yeah. We labor to enter into rest. Yeah. Into peace, into healing. We have to be very proactive, very intentional. Yeah. Wow. That's good. And then I would also say just check your self-talk. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the narrative that you're telling you're saying about yourself? Uh, and something I love to do and um I just say shut up, devil. <laughs> like just I've just just, you know, who says he's the one that gets to make my thoughts about me or my decisions about me? You know, for me as a uh I don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> and so if the devil's telling me what to do, guess what? I'm going to say, you know, go back to where you came from because you you don't get to make my decisions. You don't get to tell me who I am. And so I just kind of get, you know, a little like uh, my neck's going. You can't see me, but I get a little <laughs> attitude about it. When you recognize it's like just tell him where to go because he doesn't get to define me. That's That's God. He gets to define me. He gets to tell me who I am. And so don't be afraid to just Tell the devil off. Yep. Shut up, devil. Yeah. Uh-uh. I'm I not use going other words, there. But I won't. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking with all these shut ups, I was thinking, is there going to have to be a parental advisory on this? <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm mindful right now of what words I'm saying. <laughs> if the devil's going to be aggressive with me, I'm going to be aggressive with him. So. I know as you as you're talking, you know, you really speak the language of the heart. You speak the language of feelings and emotions, but I think sometimes people there are some people that don't know yeah. what they're feeling, yeah. right? Yeah. So I guess my my uh question that I would ask them would be, do you like the outcome of your thoughts? Yeah. Do you like the outcome of the words that you speak? Do you like the outcome of your actions? Mm-hmm. If you don't, you might need to change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if your if your thoughts, your actions, and the words that you speak keep you in isolation, and you realize, wow, I'm really isolated or I feel lonely. Mm-hmm. And then you feel, what's wrong with me that I'm all alone? Nobody cares about me. Or <laughs> so if you're not I'm even tapping is- into your emotion, you might put turn it on hyperdrive and yeah. just do, 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 go, go, go. What mm-hmm. can I do to change what I'm feeling or what I'm experiencing, but not recognizing where that's coming from? I guess what I'm trying to point out, some people don't speak that language yeah. of this is what I'm feeling and mm-hmm. this is all analyzing. They're more the, practical and pragmatic. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess if you're looking and not liking the outcome of what you're doing, that's a sign that there could be shame, yeah. right? And, and that you need to deal with it. And shame for that person could be, oh my goodness, my kids got a C on their report card yeah. and they're freaking out, not because of the, their of kids, the but they're concerned of their humiliation. Or my kid goes and does something crazy, I feel shame over what my child did or what somebody else did. And so we literally can recognize when we are making decisions out of our shame or the good of someone else. And I think that's really important. That's a really good point because a lot of times we think of 
a person dealing with shame is someone hiding in the corner, right? Yeah, someone with their head down, someone with dark clothes, on, <laughs> you know, hiding. You know, I'm kind of being dramatic a little bit, but some people are functioning in shame, and they're the loudest person in the room. Yeah, yeah. it can look like pride. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it goes so back to when I would podcast. I'd get out yeah. this uh, I'd get out the switch and remember. I mean, uh, you could have one toy out at a time because the house was not going to be messy. <laughs> and uh, you know, I just think the things I did as a young young mom. And uh, when I looked back, I just saw shame, shame, shame everywhere. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important because it really shows. Hey, there's redemption. Yes, there is. Like you look and say, "Wow, I did some really." Stupid Not things. great things. <laughs> you know, I functioned in shame. I pastored in shame. I parented in shame. And now look uh, that God can redeem yes. if you surrender mm-hmm. your life to him and his will and his way. And I think that's a beautiful thing and an encouragement to those that are listening for sure. Yeah. And that that's where when I got to the other side, I did a lot of saying, Lord, I just ask you to invade the things that we did wrong and bring your mercy and grace there. And now here we are, you're 20 years in ministry, we're doing a podcast together, even in the midst of all my shameful actions when you were a little guy. Yeah. So that to say, there is hope. Uh, in fact, the the Lord makes us a promise that where there was shame, that He would give us double honor. Oh, that was uh, my scripture. Yeah. You took my scripture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's Isaiah 61, right? Isaiah 61. So yeah. read through that chapter and just know that that is a promise of the Lord, that where there was shame, uh, you are not hopeless, you are not stuck. Um, there is... Uh, there's freedom for you and that double honor. You might think, well, I don't even deserve honor. And that's coming from a language of shame, but knowing that that is his heart for you and not rejecting that the, the gift of freedom that the Lord has for you. So we just speak that over every single one. Uh, we speak the truth that will make you free. Uh, we speak coming into the light to where you can experience not only a freedom from shame, but embrace that double honor portion that the Lord has for you. So, Yeah, I want to end with this. I know that we talked a lot about, well, obviously shame, but you've written a book about shame yeah. and it's called Double Honor. So if you're if you're at the end of this episode and you're like, man, I wish I could know more about this and have more information, yeah. uh, check out Dr. Melody's book, Double Honor. Is that the full name, Double Honor? Or is there uprooting, a uprooting shame in your life. And uprooting shame in your life. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. And so I, I wrote it back in 1998, I think, or 97 when I, I don't know what, when I started it. So it it's definitely not like my newer books as far as a, it looks like it's from 1998. Yeah, it but looks it's like I mean if you look at me, shape. I but look people, a lot younger. People are still picking it up and saying how oh, much. Oh yeah, it's yeah. actually more people get it now than they did all those years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I encourage you to do that if if you want more in depth understanding. Because there what, isn't a person on the planet who hasn't experienced this. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So that book's available at givinglight.org. So. All right, till next time. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Life Exchange. We'll be back next week with more conversation on topics of life and leadership. Until next time, be sure to check out our website at givinglight.org, where you can learn more about our church and access loads of resources to help you grow in your walk with God and people. If you like what you heard today, we'd be grateful if you leave a five-star review and share with your friends. 
Be blessed. Remember to shine your light and have a great week. Thank you.